theirs, but those are two recent um, changes about which we know. Good evening. It's good to see you tonight. Please turn to someone and smile. Some of you are doing that very well. Now, I'm hoping that some of the husbands and wives that are looking at one another with their mask on are not sticking their tongues out, but are actually... uh, But I have discovered, and she will probably get me for saying this, but I don't know if any of you have discovered, many of our ladies, my wife is good at it, doesn't, masks really haven't stopped her, she can speak with her eyes. Have you noticed that? Smiles and other emotions? <laughs> oh, with your eyes, that's pretty impressive. Tonight as we open our Bibles, please open to Psalm 119, believe it or not, we are already to Lesson 14 in our series of thoughts together. And it is exciting to know that there are other classes taking place throughout our building and that we have children uh, cradle roll all the way up in Bible class through teenagers and we have another adult class in the annex and we are excited about expanding that. And so, um, Lord willing, beginning with the... um, third academic quarter, we start in August, because that's when our promotion day, as we call it, is, and when school starts. But with, in May, the first Sunday in May, Lord willing, we, are, we will be on a five-year adult class curriculum, and I'm excited about that. Um, very excited. And my plan is, uh, again, um, Brother Ken shared at one of those five years programs, and, and um, he has... He did the work on that part of it, and it's so good. I'll have a copy, a stack of those out there next Sunday, Lord willing, for you to get, to see, just to know ahead of time uh, what's coming uh, and be thinking about that. Begin with, let's begin tonight with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your grace and your mercy, for allowing us to be here Father, we are thankful for your word and for Psalm 119 that though many ages ago it was sung, but this song is a part of your written word. And according to Romans 15, 4, we can read it, we can glean from it, we can absorb it, we can learn it and understand the power of your word. May we do that, Father, tonight with eager ears and ready hearts and willing hands as we put these things into practice. Help us be humble students. Father, we are also mindful of Brother Joel Johnson and Sister Verlin Verlin Davis who are sick during this time and are at the local hospital. We pray that you'll be with their caregivers, you'll be with those family members who are caring for them and that you'll be with them in accordance to your holy will for you know their needs better than we. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So tonight, as we make our way to, in this section of scripture, I hope you'll take your Bibles and that you'll read along, you'll leave it open. 
that you'll take some notes, that you will, uh, again, my goal, when we do this study together, my goal is for you to think more deeply about God's Word. Psalm 119 gives us almost, uh, well, not almost, I don't know why I said that, it gives us every possible perspective that God would show us about His Word, every possible application of the Word of God into our lives. And so I hope this will whet your interest in studying it even more fully. But in verses 89 through 96, as we look at it tonight, let's read it together first of all. Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, and your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now, as we look at this, there are some really, in my opinion, powerful things uh, that we haven't thought about before about the Word of God. So if, you were, if you're titling these, this one I really don't suppose has a title. It just simply begins with this phrase, the Word of God is... And I think about an introduction. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 comes to mind. For the word of God is quick and powerful, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now that's power. I wonder how often we've quoted that verse, heard a preacher quote that verse, nodded our head in absolute agreement to that verse, and never really stopped to think about just how powerful that verse is, what the message is of that verse. As we think about the Word of God tonight, as David, and uh, most scholars believe David wrote Psalm 119, as he unfolds his relationship with God's Word and what God's Word does in his life, we should think about something that is absolutely all-powerful. Powerful because it's alive. Powerful because it's active. Powerful because, and think about, have you ever just stopped and thought about why the Holy Spirit chose to, to uh, give those comparisons? Sharper than any two-edged sword, cuts both ways. Piercing through the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and the thought discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I've often thought, why joints and marrow? Why that physical? And I think the lesson is absolutely clear. The point is absolutely uh, 100% made, there is nowhere the Word of God cannot go. There is nothing about me that the Word of God cannot reach, cannot change, is not powerful enough to touch. So when you think about the Word of God in that perception or in, in that perspective, it helps us as we open up our study tonight, and there are three things that David unfolds to us that I think are absolutely important. The Word of God, number one, endures. The Word of God endures. Now, that's a passage that I'm quite certain that you are familiar with. 
or a thought rather, endures. But I want to take it a little deeper tonight. Forever, O Lord, verses um, 89 through 91, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. Now, think about that just for a second. Your, worm is, your word is firmly fixed. In other words, it's already been set into motion. It's already been set about the business for which God intended, and it's going to take care of that. It's going to do that. It isn't going to stop doing that no matter what. Now, as we think about some application... We think about Psalm 100 and verse 5. Again, the psalmist said, The Lord is good and His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness endures to all generations. That's the second time David said that just a moment ago. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Then I think about Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. I think about Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For that gospel is the power of God to save, to salvation, to all who believe, the Jew first, also the Greek. For in it, in what? In the gospel. In it, the gospel. Now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, silly here or, or, or repetitive because I always seem to have to go back to that, that, that teacher mode of mine. But understanding the words is important. You know, I'm thinking in my mind recently when I was trying to get a group of, how shall we say, less than motivated students to see a concept. In the idea, uh, I said, hey, let's talk about an antecedent. And they said, who? A what? And I said, it's easy. It's that pronoun word. And you go back, the idea was don't use a pronoun unless it's referring to something because that's, it's unclear. Okay, so it, for in it is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. That's verse 17. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That word, it's a pronoun. You can't use that word unless it's got another word that it's taken the place of. For what? In what is the faithfulness of God found? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Where do you get the faith by which you live? Where do you find the righteousness of God that becomes the faith by which you live? In the gospel. That's as simple as simple can be. But now, wait a minute. David said that faithfulness, that faithfulness that's found in the Word of God never goes away. Generations come and go if God so wills it. Generations become corrupt and fall away and, and, and some are renewed and, and some are lost. But in the midst of all of that, God's word continues to be firmly fixed. Right now is the time we need that assurance. And I want you to think about that assurance perhaps in a different way. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, all flesh is like grass. It's glory as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of God endures forever. How long is forever? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, can't gra we can only take that on faith because we've never been there. But we know when, there is no end to it. The, wait a minute. The word of God remains forever. 
But what else does he say in that verse? Last phrase. This word is the good news that was preached to you. This word is the gospel that was preached to you. So when I study the gospel, when I open God's word, that power of God, I want you to understand that isn't just God's book. That's enough said. But that's God's salvation source, his plan, his very presence for us. And it's there forever. Now, I can't help but look at... I want you to think about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. You may read that and think, now wait a minute, what's that got to do with this? Let's look at it together. What in the world has that got to do with the Word of God enduring forever? I hope you'll take this in and it increases your faith. Genesis 1, 14 and 15, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Now, wait a minute. That phrase, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years, that's how we're able to have calendars. That's how we're able to know I, I would know just simply because my dad started me out deer hunting and, and I, I know I wouldn't have to have a calendar to know that it was January. It was already in because where the moon is and that star that's right above the tip of the moon it, at the beginning of January because I've seen it many times. And, and the sun is coming up from this direction and it's changing. It's, and that does that every single year. Now, you hold that thought, and I want you to go to uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 20 and 21. Then I want us to think about something that we just read. In Romans 1, 20 and 21, you know, that passage that unfolds some awfully horrible wickedness. For his invisible attributes, verse 20, namely, he's he's his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, clearly understood ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart was darkened. Wait a minute. What did he say? They're without excuse. Why? Because you could understand God by simply looking around. Now, let's go back and then we'll move on to what we just read in Psalm 119, verse 89. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. In your appointment, by your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. Your word is firmly fixed. God's word... That is, his power to save, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, that can do anything that God needs it to do in my heart. Now, quick question. How many of you love to feed birds and watch them? I know it sounds like a silly question. Anybody, though? A few? Good. I like to do that, too. Um, I have started putting bird seed out again. I have a squirrel that has found that seed. He and I are going to have to have a conversation. Um, but I like to do that. Any of you like to watch the sunrise? How about the sunset? 
Yeah, and you're thinking, he's rambling again. No, he's not. If you look at that passage and you think about it, the way it talks about the Word of God, he's saying the Word of God is fixed in the heavens. As long as the sun comes up, and the next time you watch those birds eating, following God's pattern and God's creation and God's uh, unfolding, you know that everything in this book is absolutely 100% still there and still on target. The next time you see a rainbow in the sky, the next time you hear rain falling, you understand that God, His power is still working right along. His Word that put all of that in place is still able to do exactly what He promised it would do. That's reassurance, folks. That's reassurance. Number one, the Word of God endures forever. But number two, the Word of God saves. The Word of God saves. Let's look at verses 92 through 94. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. Listen to what he said. If my law had not been your delight, I would have perished. I will never forget your precepts. I'll never forget what you say because I understand something. And that understanding is clear that that's where I get life. When you go away from here tonight and you see the last vestiges of the day fade into twilight, remember that God's word is still here. Still going. But also remember that God's word is the reason that you are able to overcome. You're able to continue to be faithful because of that. Well, let's think about some applications. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we were there just a minute ago. And we read that the word of God um, endures forever. But what does he say in verse 22? Seeing that you have purified your souls, how? Obeying the truth. When I thought God saves our souls, I thought the blood of Jesus purifies. Colossians 1.13 says, or verse 14 rather, says that it's through the blood we get forgiveness. But where do we find the blood? Where do we find how to contact the blood? And how do we know that? Because, Because that's right. That's exactly right. We forget sometimes, if we're not careful, we need to hear Jeremiah's words echoing in the back of our head. Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. I need to keep that in mind. Seeing that you purified your souls in obeying the truth. What does James James 1.21 say? Lay aside all filthiness and all uh, the overflow of wickedness. You know, that's a, that's a fun uh, word uh, that King James sometimes, that uh, all naughtiness and superfluity of, uh, and it's oh, super, what? Uh, it means overflow. If you're suffering from a superfluity of plumbing, then it's a bad thing because there's water going everywhere. 
And that's the idea of overflowing. Naughtiness. You know, it's so very funny that sometimes, and I, I want to be very careful here, but the word naughty in, that, in the King James, if you look it up in the Greek, nowadays the word naughty doesn't mean just a whole lot to us. It's not very powerful. Why would he say that? Uh. But the truth is, in that time, that Greek word that was translated naughty that way, we only use it two different ways now. A child not behaving itself, use it lightly, or in some kind of sexual deviancy kind of way out there in some dark spot. That's because in 1611, in Shakespeare's time, in King James' time, if you referred to somebody as being naughty, you called them something that the elders probably don't want me to get too deeply into uh, since we're live streaming because it involves some serious immorality and some nasty behavior. So in other words, wickedness. You're behaving wickedly. wickedly. He said, get rid of all of that wickedness, whatever it is, and that, uh, that overflow, that, that immorality, and that overflow of wick immorality, sorry, instead of wickedness, and the overflow of wickedness, whatever it is, get rid of it, and then what? Receive with meekness the engrafted word. That's another interesting word. Um, the word of God will never save you unless it is where? Sounds like a trick question. Unless it is a, yeah, I see, uh, unless it's in here, okay? Now, I don't know why, why y'all are so shy in here? Uh, in here, unless it's engrafted means that it's become part of, it's become part of who you are. It's a graft. It becomes a part of you. Now, someone who has a skin graft, uh, that skin, do they refer to that as somebody else's? No. Uh, because it becomes a part of who they are. It becomes a part of that area of their body. If you can understand that, James said you've got to get rid of these things, but then you have to take into your heart, not just there uh, to stay, Sometimes we uh, invite the Word of God in and we want it to stay around, but we never really give it a place to sit. We never really make it, uh, give it a home in our hearts. But engrafted means is that it, it, it latches itself onto us. Now, here's another question. If you had a, uh, a skin graft, for whatever reason, and it was done properly. Now, you might be able to tell from looking at the skin. But can you really separate where that graft is from the rest of your body? No, because it's done what? Say it a little louder. It's grown together. It's become a part of you, I think I heard somebody say. That's right. Okay, now, if you get that, how can you miss? Why would the Holy Spirit use that? Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The word of God saves your souls only after it grows together into our souls, into our hearts, and becomes part of it. You know why it's so hard? for Satan to destroy a faithful child of God because he can't get the word loose. He can't get it out. It's so much a part of us. 
And that's what David is talking about here. If I had not known your word, if I hadn't thought about your word, I would have perished. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, let's look at that. Here's another interesting passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, you and I are probably very familiar with verse 15, but let's start at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I know we read that one a lot, but from now on, let me challenge you and encourage you never to read verse, uh, Philippians 2 verse 15 without 16. Because it's one sentence. It's one thought. That you may be blameless and innocent children, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Comma. Doing what? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As you are shining as lights, as you are doing all things without murmuring, without complaining, as you're being lights in the world and children of God, what are you doing all that time? What empowers you, enables you, strengthens you to do that? The Word. Holding fast to the Word of life. Now, we won't go into a side study here, but what's interesting is that in 1 John 1 and verse 1, the Apostle John uses the same terminology the word of life, but he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Christ. You see, to have a relationship with Christ, and I, I may be about to make a bold statement, but I don't mean for it really to be all that bold. Um, sometimes we are perhaps critical as we look out in the world and we see certain groups of people talking about having a relationship with Jesus, but then some of their doctrine doesn't match the Word of God. But at the same time, we have to be careful that, that we are not proponents of academic gospel without that relationship. You see, if you and I truly let the Word of God become engrafted in our hearts, we're going to have that relationship with Jesus because the Word of truth is the gospel and the gospel is Christ and the Christ is the gospel. In other words, you say, well, I can differentiate them. Why are you trying? Why are you trying? Because if you're seeking Christ, you're only going to find him through the gospel, through the truth. And if, yours, if the gospel is changing you, then Christ is going to be dwelling there. And we'll look at a verse that shows that in just a minute. But let's, let's think for a minute. Uh, in 1 John... 1 and verse 7, I, I, I don't want to leave that passage. I'm thinking about what he, David said again when he said, I am yours, save me. Uh, I will never forget your precepts, for by them they have given me life. I, save me, for I have sought your precepts. First John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his Son will cleanse us. If we walk in the light... Again, that idea, that word of truth, if we're walking in Christ, then we're walking in the truth. That the boundary of the truth is the light in which we walk, right? 
1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, and then we'll move on for time's sake. With every temptation, God does what? Make a way of escape. Now, do we really believe that? David said, if I did not know your truth, if I hadn't been thinking about the different things your truth says about sin and about Satan and about temptation and about how to resist and recover from those attacks, then I wouldn't have escaped. Sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of, of temptation or in the midst of Satan's uh, grasp or in the throes uh, of, of those sins, when we start trying to gather our own inner strength, we need to stop right there and spend some time in the Word and spend some time in prayer and let God, uh, let it, the meditation of ours on His truth become that strength because that's what David said, works. But number three, the Word of God protects. The Word of God protects. Um, let's read verses 95 and 96. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimony. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceeding, exceedingly broad. Now that's an interesting phrase, uh, th that last verse. But... What do you think it means when David says the wicked lie in wait to destroy me? Give me an idea of lying in wait. Hmm. Okay. Hiding, waiting for somebody to come by. What's your purpose for waiting in that context? Of course. Absolutely. Very good. Um, this morning, I think uh, Brother Ken used, and I say I think because not that you didn't use it. There's some days that I quote you and realize it was two months ago and not, not today, but that's okay. For, uh, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, I think you used this morning about the devil being a roaring lion, being described as one of those, right? Now, any of you, I, I don't think any of you have lions, you're not supposed to without a permit. Uh, but you know what a cat is. And cats in that same ancestral line. Um, have you ever seen a cat um, outside, an outside cat doing its thing, stalking a bird? you ever seen one? What do they do? I want, hmm? They sneak up on them. But in that, explain to me the process of that sneaking because it amazes me. I sat and watched one for... Uh, quite a while one time because it just amazed me. Uh, for one thing, I knew two things, that that cat um, was not a high school student because no high school student can sit still for that long. And I knew that I could never do that. Have you ever seen a cat? Uh, this cat I was watching in the course of 15 minutes moved about an inch and a half and moved so slightly that if I had not seen the head move against the background of the weeds, I wouldn't have known he was moving. But he was hunting, wasn't he? He saw something I didn't see. He knew something was there. Okay, did you know lions do the same thing? 
they also have that ability. So when I broaden out that understanding of Satan, I realize that Satan also is patient. He is patient in that he lies in wait for opportunities. He knows my weakness, and he's willing to wait. Does that scare you? It should. I don't know who said... uh, It should. It most certainly should. I want you in your mind, if you can imagine... And this really happened, by the way. It it, uh, wasn't dangerous. Uh, At least my dad didn't think so. But... uh, My dad and I used to hunt together in the same piece of property, and there were two different points about, oh, I don't know, 100 yards apart, and we would be on those points. And I remember walking out at the appointed time, and I came all the way, and just as I got to where I could see my dad, I I looked, and there went a a pretty good-sized bobcat off and I So there was a bobcat, and my dad said, and, and this, I can't remember... A lot of things, but I'll never forget this. He said, oh, yeah, I've been watching it. Uh, it's been uh, stalking you the whole time you were walking up that ridge. It's been following you. So let me get this straight. You've been sitting here watching this bobcat hunt me. up. The- oh, yeah, it was interesting. I'm sure, pretty sure it was interesting from your perspective. Uh, but I'm not sure I was real keen on that. You know? But the idea, I want you to think about... Satan watching you and waiting for that weakness to appear in such a way that he can make the best of it. Now, that's scary. That's scary. But I want you to think about this, though. It's scary unless we realize what uh, he has, what God promises us. The wicked lion wait to destroy me. The wicked want to destroy me. That's true for you and me. Satan ultimately, but I consider your testimonies. What does the word consider mean to you? It may be kind of light in the English language for us. Consider. Think about, take into account. Okay, to me, you know who Jerry Clower is? Okay, uh, A lot of people, I'm sure there's several young people in here who have no idea who Jerry Clower is. But Jerry Clower used to talk about the the time that the coon dogs got into a lynx. And he called the lynx a souped-up wildcat. And I can't, for some reason, when I think of certain words, consider is thinking about something but souped-up. It is much more intense I had an instructor at the Memphis School of Preaching many, many years ago, back in the 80s, um, that um, John Renshaw, and he would say, and for a long time I just nodded my head and said, you know, I had no idea what he meant. But the word, he would say, you need to cogitate on that. Well, that's a fascinating word. I have no idea what it means. Cogitate means you need to sit down and think about it and think about it some more and then let it sit for a while and then think about it again. 
When I consider your testimonies, I don't just read them and agree to them. I don't just agree, just read them and nod my head. I certainly should do both of those things. I don't just read them and reread them, but I come back to them. I come back to them and study them some more because when I come back to them, things have happened to me. Things have happened within me. I am older now and I, I, I understand some things that I didn't understand the first time or the second time or the third time or the eighth time that I read them. I consider your testimonies. And notice the contrast there. He said, the wicked, they're lying in wait. But the idea is, I'm protected from that. Why would those two things be in the same sentence? I'm protected from those things. Why? How? I'm considering your testimonies. I have seen a limit to your all perfection. And again, I can't help but think about uh, Jeremiah. It's not in me to direct my steps. Your commandment is broad. God's word covers the needs that I have. Now, we've got just enough time to look at these verses. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. When we think about the word of God protecting us, let's, let's put that into practice. In 1 John 2... We could read all of it, but let's go to verse 24 and read down through verse 27. And remember, as we read this, you think about its application to the Word of God, as David put it, when I consider it, when I soak it in, when I think about it, it protects me. Verse 24, 1 John 2, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just that it has taught you, abide in him. When I allow the promise that God has made to me, that when I, as Paul in Galatians 2 wrote, if I walk by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that faith that's found, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, And hearing comes by the Word of God. When I make that a part of who I am, then it teaches me so that I recognize the deception. And I'm protected against it. While we're in 1 John, let's go to chapter 5. And on the screen it says 24, but there are not 24 verses in 1 John 5. That's supposed to be 21. 18 through 21. 1 John 5, 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects himself, and the evil one does not touch him. Keeps himself, King James says, New King James. We know, and that word has the idea of guarding. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the wicked, evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come, watch this, has come and has given us understanding. He he hasn't just saved us, but he continues to save us, 1 John 1, 7. Given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and his son, Jesus Christ. 
He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There are things we have to do. John apparently was dealing, had a certain idea in mind there, and we could fill in that blank with whatever it is that is um, plaguing us. But keep yourself. Doesn't keep on sinning. That's the tense there. I don't sin as a habit, but I work very hard at using that understanding that Jesus has given us. Now, as we move toward a conclusion... Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And Ephesians 6 for me, uh, brothers and sisters, is a great illustration of what I said just a few moments ago about returning to the Word of God and considering. I can't tell you how many times God has blessed me to preach a sermon and I've used Ephesians 6. These verses we're about to read. That I've studied them in a Bible class, that I've thought about them. And I'm ashamed to say I had a, an understanding just today as I was studying this that I should have thought before. Think, surely I've thought that before. But I didn't realize the connection. It's obvious that it's there. But it's so powerful. Ephesians 6, let's begin reading about verse 12. In fact, let's back up. Remember, we're talking about what David said, that the Word of God protects us. And we obviously know that Paul is talking about protection here. That's what armor is, right? Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Well, here's the armor. But let's read verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I believe that's pretty plain. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. You with me? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you, are, you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, let's look at that passage again. And I want you to think about this. Yes, I need this spiritual armor. But I want you to think about it again. Look at verse 14. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Remember Romans 17, for in the gospel is found the righteousness of God. Where? In the gospel. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. Take the shield of faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. First, uh, Romans 1.17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the what? The word of God, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, the engrafted word which is able to what? Save your souls. You purified your souls in obeying the what? The truth. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Don't you understand these are not individual pieces that we wear. We understand what a shield does. We understand what a helmet does. We understand what a sword does from an a, a, a armor perspective, and we can apply that spiritually. But all of these things are 
the Word of God applied where they need to be applied and doing what they're supposed to be doing. All of these things are intertwined. In my understanding, it's the living and powerful Word of God protecting me. So the Word of God, it endures, it saves, and it protects. When I first started this study, I I hoped, I was a little concerned and hoped that this would not become something that's, you know, redundant. We're just saying the same thing over and over. But I think you understand as we look at each of these sections, it gives us a, a, a fresh look into the power of the Word of God. We may have made history. I finished two minutes early. Um... Tonight as we close, uh, if you have not had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you'll make your way to the uh, foyer, someone will help you with that. And uh, we'll have a prayer together as we close. But parents, if you want to go ahead and go um, and be prepared to pick up your children. Uh, And you know what? I'm going to say this because it excites me. Parents, you can go ahead and go. is that uh, this happened last week, um, happened Wednesday night, is that um, parents get out there. You know, there have been times in the past when Bible class has still been going on, the children are through. But the last few, you know, there were parents standing in the hallway patiently. You know why? Music to my ears. I had a, a teacher stick her head out and said, well, we're not done yet. Wait a minute. Let's finish. Uh, Now we're cooking, right? Now we're headed where we need to be headed. The Word of God is that important. Pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be your children, to study your Word, to be a family. Encourage us, Father. We know that your Word endures forever and that it saves us and continues to save us as we study it, we think about it. Protect us through it, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, folks. Don't forget to, uh, uh, everybody, smile at JT before you leave.